Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 17. I know that it's a favorite passage of Scripture of some of you. And justifiably so. One of the most spiritual sections of the entire Word of God. There is little history here. There is plenty of the spiritual ambitions of the Lord Jesus Christ and His prayer on behalf of all the elect, called those that God had given Him, called those that would believe on the Apostles' word, and for those men that God had given Him to be special foundation stones in the house of God, the Apostles. Weak men they were. With a prayer like this, they turned the world upside down. The Lord delivered them from all sort of predicament because Jesus prayed that he would. He did not pray that they would be taken out of the world, but that they would be saved from it and from the evil that is in the world. John 17. The Gospel of John is different from the other three Gospels in that it shows a more spiritual, please understand my words here, a more spiritual side of the Lord Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. The other three Gospels are more of his history. But when you read the Gospel of John, I want you to know that when you reach the midpoint, you are already a couple of days from his crucifixion. And that what you find toward the end of the Gospel of John is the teaching of Jesus Christ and his prayer in his last hours. If you look at your Bibles, the Last Supper occurred in John chapter 13. And what we have between 13 and 18, chapters 14 through 17, are the words that he spoke to his apostles after that supper on their way to to Gethsemane. Because if you look at the last verse in verse 14, it says, Arise, let us go hence. They're moving. They're walking. And Jesus is teaching them. And when he gets to the end of some of the most sublime, beautiful, comforting, encouraging words, he then offers up a prayer for them and for all that would believe on them. And brethren, we have believed their word because their word was written down in the epistles of the New Testament and brought to us. And we have believed on Jesus Christ because of their word. That came to us in the scriptures. This is the last night of our Lord's life. I want you to know where those chapters fall. And so when the most dramatic moment. In the history of the world is about to play itself out. The Lord Jesus Christ is praying for you. If you are one of his and he was praying for me. He wasn't bemoaning the fact. That he was going to the cross. Oh, in a few minutes after chapter 17, he did pray if the Father could find another way, he would accept it. But nevertheless, not his will, but God's be done in his life. He always did the will of his Father. He always did those things that pleased God. If if you read chapters 14 through 16, it gives you a good preface to move into his prayer of chapter 17. Let me remind you of some of the things he told them. The compassion 
of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen so clearly in John 14 through 17. His care for the men that God had given him, which is a token and an example of the care that he gives every one of us. These poor men had had him as their master. He taught them everything they knew. Their leader, he directed them everywhere they went. Their protector, he had delivered them from death when, they, when the crowds and multitudes wanted to stone him and kill him and cast him down from a cliff on several occasions. He had performed so many miracles in their presence and he was about to leave them. And so he comforts them with his words in 14 through 16 and then his prayer. You know the words of the first three verses of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. They had just heard some troubling news. He was going to be betrayed that night into the hands of the Gentiles. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Reading these three chapters helps you with John 17, because you will see some of the very same thoughts expressed from him, our Lord, to them, the apostles. I am going to come for you again. Don't let your heart be troubled. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, that's Judas that was not the Iscariot. John 14, 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. This promise directed to them will help us understand John 17. There was an infinite and beautiful relationship of unity between God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. It was based on total acceptance and pleasing conduct on both parts. They possessed and owned everything that the other had. They had fellowship and joy between them. And it was based on a love that we can only have if God and His Son, Jesus Christ, put it in us. Because it is not by nature. It is a spiritual love. And here we're told that if a man love God and keep his words, or if a man loves the Lord Jesus Christ and keeps his sayings, the Father and Jesus will come and make their abode with that man. That is unbelievable news, except by the eye and ear of faith. That God and his Son would dwell, abide forever with those who believe and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. It says in verse 27, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He knew they were going to be afraid. The world has a thing they call peace. But there has never been a peace like what Jesus Christ can give. If you learn to walk in the Spirit and be careful for nothing... And by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let all your requests be made known unto God. He is able to give you a peace that passes understanding. And he promised that peace to them. 
In chapter 15, he told them in verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is the ambition of Jesus Christ for his apostles. And if we get this settled in our minds, as we get to chapter 17, and he begins making his repetitive request to God, that they all might be one in the Father and in the Son, even as the Father and Son are one together, we understand that there is love and presence and fellowship and a fullness of joy. That's what he's working toward. These men are about to be left alone. And they were afraid. But I will not leave you alone. I will send you a comforter to be with you forever. Verse 12 says, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. I read that lengthy passage for you to see, sandwiched there, this is my commandment, that ye love one another. And his prayer is going to be for all of his apostles and those that would believe their word would all be one and be united and love one another. This is the preface that he gives to John 17. I call you friends because I've told you everything the Father's told me. Look at the intimacy of the relationship. Everything God has, the Father has told me, I have told you. Therefore, they know as much about God as the Lord Jesus had for them. Their relationship with him was so close. If they would believe what he was telling them and obey him and keep his commandments. And he says there that no greater love has a man ever had for another than to lay down his life for his friends. We may lay down a few dollars. We may lay down a few hours. But how many of us have laid down our lives for our friends? And the Lord is about to do that. Look at 16.7. Of course, they didn't want him to go away. Who would have wanted the Lord Jesus to leave them after three and a half years in his presence? How many times had he offended them? How many times had they seen him selfish? How many times had he neglected them? None. A perfect savior and a perfect friend they had. He told him in verse 6, Because I have said these things to you that I am going away, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So there was even a purpose from their standpoint of fellowship and companionship that Jesus should indeed depart. That the Holy Spirit that could be with them forever would be there. And so he comforts them with that in verse 7 of chapter 16. 
We come over to verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. He was going to be gone for three days and three nights, but they were going to see him again, and they were going to hardly be able to believe that he was back again because they saw his death. They heard about his death. They saw the tomb. They knew he had been buried. And yet he came back and they would have joy. And there's going to be greater joy, brethren, when we see him forever in a day that's coming soon. It says in verse 33, as he closes out his remarks to his disciples, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise the Lord. This, if you read those three chapters and think upon 11 men who are troubled by having their last supper with the Lord Jesus Christ, who told them this is the last one, who told them I will be betrayed this night. He comforts them so kindly. He exhorts them to love one another. Because he knew that they were so tempted at competing with one another as who would be great in his kingdom after his departure. It's helpful to read those three chapters and what wonderful words they are. John chapter 17 may be split several ways. Let me show you some of the divisions. Jesus, as he opens his prayer, prays to the Father for himself that he might glorify the Father and the Father might glorify him. And that runs through verse 5. Beginning in verse 6, Jesus prays for his apostles, which runs down to verse 19. The primary and the direct application are for those that God gave him to be corner, to be foundation stones in the church of the New Testament. And you will see several references that prove that, such as... Verse 12, where it's talking about the 12 having been given him, and he had lost none of them save Judas Iscariot. So there's a verses 6 through 19 is Jesus praying for his apostles. Then verses 20 through 24, Jesus praying for all those that would believe on him through the word of the apostles, which we have done. And then the last two verses, he appeals back, to the Father for his apostles as he closes out John 17. The parties that are named in this chapter are those the Father had given him, the elect of God in verse 2. The parties named here are the 11 apostles that God had given him to be his special ambassadors and witnesses. They had ability and they had experience that no preacher of the gospel has ever had since. They accompanied with the Lord Jesus Christ the entire time from John the Baptist's baptism until his resurrection. Acts chapter 1 tells us that that was a qualification to be among them. What an experience! 
You know, forget three and a half or four years of seminary. They were with the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years. Day by day with him. They saw him in innumerable different situations. And how he dealt with all of them. They heard everything he preached. And the Holy Spirit brought it all to their memories in case they had forgotten. As we're told there in John chapter 16. These men were given ability that after Jesus ascended up into heaven, he said, wait, wait in Jerusalem and I will endue you with power from on high. And they were given power to do miracles and mighty signs and wonders. And so go forth as fishermen, fishermen, mind you, fishermen went into all the world and declared that Jesus of Nazareth was the son of God, the prophesied Messiah of the Jewish scriptures, the coming judge of the earth. And we know that he is because we are witnesses of his resurrection. They had eaten with him and slept with him and touched him after his resurrection from the dead. They were mighty men. They're described in verses 6 through 19. God made them useful to himself and to the gospel and to us. And then they're mentioned again in verses 25 and 26. And brethren, we are mentioned as those that believe on them in verses 20 through 24. Those are those the parties that are mentioned in this chapter. This prayer is the intercessory work of Jesus Christ our Lord. This is how he intercedes on our behalf with God our Father. A priest, if you read Hebrews 5 last night, you were reminded of this simple fact. Priests are men chosen from among men for a special job. And that's to take care of how to deal with God. The priests of the Old Testament built the altars, killed the sacrifices, offered the prayers, sprinkled the blood, and did all that there was necessary for peace to be made with God. Jesus, our Lord, is a priest. And here he is in John 17 as a priest interceding for us. That means praying to another party for us. There's three parties involved. The God that is being prayed to, the intercessor or the mediator that is doing the praying on behalf of a third party that is unable to go to God in the same way. And the Lord Jesus Christ did that for us. And brethren, what a priest he was. He was the son of God. What priest has ever been the son of God? What priest has there ever been that did not have to first offer sacrifices for his own sins? And then for the sins of the people, as Hebrews 7 tells us. But the Lord Jesus Christ did not have to do that. He could be dedicated to interceding for us because he had no sins of his own. If you look at God as judge, we have an intercessor that could pray, Father. Would you like to be on trial before a judge where the lawyer, the attorney, the mediator, the counselor that is representing you is the son of the judge? Praise the God of heaven. What kind of a son? An adversarial son or a son that it was known, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When this son offers up these words of John 17, 
They are the weightiest words that can ever enter heaven. And they were prayed for you and me. You will never be able to utter words this weighty. Because this is the Son of God praying for us. I know that you know that secret of Romans chapter 8. That when we pray for things, we have the Holy Spirit of God praying according to the will of God and praying with groanings which cannot be uttered. But brother, when the Lord Jesus Christ stands up for you in heaven and prays on your behalf, those prayers are heard. He always heareth me, Jesus said. You say, well, he didn't hear him in the Garden of Gethsemane because he asked for another way. Oh, no, he said, if it be possible. But if it's not possible, if this is your will, at the last hour, I submit entirely to your will. Did God send him comfort at that time? Angels came and comforted him. His father did hear his prayer. This is what we have in John 17. I know that some of you old timers have read this so many times. You all, you know it already. But remember, I have children in here that I want them to love John 17. I want you to know that you have a priest who prayed for you in his darkest hour. As I comb John 17, I see no weeping for himself. I see no whining about what he must do. I see no selfishness at all. It's all for his apostles. It's all for us. That we would have the blessing of God, his Father, upon our lives. Let Catholics go into their cathedrals and ask for Father O'Reilly to do some good for them. We will go into the throne room of heaven, and in the name of Jesus, we shall leave our souls there for this life and the world to come. And this is his prayer for us. Do you want to know where you're going? Then read John 17, when Jesus says, I pray, Father, that they may be with me, because I want them to see the glory that you've given me. Oh, I want to see that glory, don't you? You're going to see that glory. How do you know you belong in John 17? It's simple enough, verse 20. Do you believe what the apostles have said about Jesus of Nazareth? Is he the Son of God? Is he a Savior? Did he perform miracles? Was he justified of the Spirit? Seen of angels? Preached down in the world? Believed down in the world? Do you believe those things? Do you believe he's coming again? Do you believe he's going to judge the quick and the dead? You're in John 17. Rejoice. It's a prayer for you. And thank the God of heaven. You know, we are living stones in a New Testament kingdom where the foundation stones are the apostles. God chose weak men and made them great to be the foundation of the church. And he chose weak men like you and me and left us rather weak. We're not, we're not like the apostles, but we don't need to be. They've already done their service for us. And we benefit every day we open the New Testament. Every day. You know what Paul told Timothy? He said, thou hast known the scriptures since you were a child. And and God had made you wise unto salvation through those scriptures that he'd had as a child. If you believe the record that God has given of his son through the apostles, then you're in John 17, and you should rejoice as it's read and explained. This is intercession. Intercession means when there's a man that goes between two parties. Job prayed and begged for God that he might have a daysman that could go between them, put one hand on Job, one hand on God, and make peace between the two of them because Job knew that God had left him and was was 
was purging him and chasing him and chastening him by the power of the devil. He knew that. So he prayed for a daysman. We have a daysman. That's what it means. A mediator, an intercessor, a priest, a go-between, a propitiation, a counselor. You know what you call your attorney, don't you? Counselor? What does the judge call an attorney? Counselor? We have a counselor. And his name is wonderful. Amen. And I love his counsel. Amen. And his counsel is always accepted by the judge. Right. Because the judge is his father. And he knows all things that the judge thinks and wants. That's right. And he always pleases his father. So this is an intercession that we can rejoice in. You know, you look at the 26 verses and you find out that only five were about himself. If you can even constrain them to be about himself. Because if you look at them closely, they're about us and what he's going to do for us. And then there might, there's 16 verses about the apostles and five for the elect. On the night of the greatest drama, the greatest event in the history of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ made this prayer. You may rest assured that he is still doing this at this hour. And I must show you that. So turn with me to Romans chapter five. Before we look at the words of it, I want you to know That the Lord Jesus Christ, by this example prayer, where we see him praying for us, he is still doing that. That's why he lives. There is a salvation we obtain by his death. There is a salvation we obtain. It's a furtherance and a guarantee and a confirmation of that salvation we obtain by his life. Look at how it's worded in Romans 5.10. For if, when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We understand that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for us, paying for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. God no longer is angry with us because Jesus died for our sins. Much more. Is there something much more than Jesus dying on the cross? According to the word of God, there is. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That sacrificial payment will never be lost because Jesus Christ is continually bringing it before the Father. It was offered once for all. But he makes intercession for us on the basis of that sacrifice and he lives forever as a priest. That those sins can never be brought up again. Because the priest is there who offered himself once without spot to God. And so much more, there is a perpetual life by which we are saved. Look at chapter 8. This is a theme of Paul that we are also to be thankful for his life that he now lives in heaven. Look at Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemneth? Who's going to condemn one of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather. Sort of like much more. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. There's his perpetual ministry as a priest. Jesus is praying for us. He will not lose one of us. He lived in this world. He knows everything we go through. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He is able to succor them that come unto God by him. Because he himself hath suffered being tempted. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 7 for the third of the witnesses that Jesus has a life in heaven on our behalf as an intercessor so that when we read John 17, we can rejoice. This is how Jesus prays for his own. Hebrews 7 verse 25. There's so much in this chapter about priesthood. I gave you the shorter chapter yesterday, Hebrews 5 instead of Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7 is jam-packed full of how the Lord Jesus Christ is a superior priest to anything under the Old Testament. Verse 25, Wherefore, because he has a priesthood that never changes, and he lives forever and doesn't die, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I want you to notice the words, Jesus Christ has a ministry right now in heaven. When we think of the ministry of Jesus Christ, we sometimes narrow it down to three and a half years when he was on earth. You know, he fed the 5,000, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he preached the gospel, and he died and was buried and he rose again. But if we read the word of God and we listen to it, and we humble ourselves before it and consider it, he has a ministry right now. He ever lives to make intercession for us. We have this priest that will never let the value of his sacrifice be lost. Not that it could be, not that it would be, not that it will be, but it's of comfort to all the saints of God to know they have a priest that never stops making intercession for them. And he's doing it right now. Back to John 17. Many have been born and lived in this world and died and never read what we're reading. We have had occasion in the last couple of days to think of 1.3 billion that live in that isolated land of the People's Republic of China. Many of them have read the words of Mao because they were forced to read the words of Mao. And to consider the little red book of Mao to be the truth. And they did not know this. We're so thankful. We should be so thankful. We are so blessed. Because we are so blessed, we should be so thankful that we have the Gospel of John. And not only the Gospel of John, but 26 other books of the New Testament. And the whole record of God that he's given us called the Word of God. So that we scoff and mock anyone called Mao or any other name. We don't care what Confucius say. We care what do the scriptures say. Thus saith the Lord, and this is what we have. John 17. Let us arise and go hence. Jesus is walking with his apostles, and he teaches them John 14, 15, and 16. I read to you the first five verses. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, The hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. 
I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will say are about himself. But they're not really about himself. They're about how God is going to be glorified in him and how he's going to glorify God. And how is that? By giving eternal life to all the elect. That is the reason for the existence of the universe. That God would have an elect people and save them through his son, Jesus Christ, for the glorious display of his love and his kindness and his mercy. Romans chapter 9 verse 23 tells us that. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that for the ages to come, when we are in heaven, we will be praising God for his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. This is the purpose for the whole existence of the universe. And of course, he was willing to show his wrath and to make his power known upon the vessels of wrath which had been prepared for destruction. These words spake Jesus. I know what time it is. Let's see if we can get through verse 1. And we'll come back. Verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. You know, we should call John 17 the Lord's Prayer. Because it is the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because it's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. There's no big deal about those words. But I want you to know this is the longest prayer in the New Testament. And this is a prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can rightly call it the Lord's Prayer. Because when he prayed, this is how he prayed. And if you want to learn how to pray, learn Matthew 6 when he told us how to pray. But then read John 17 over and over and see how he prayed. Notice his compassion. Notice his ambition for the glory of God throughout. And the unity and the agreement and the peace and for them all to be one together. He is with his father and he prays that we would be as well with his father and with him. Prayer is not the tongues babblings of the charismatics and the Pentecostals. Prayer is the intelligent reasoning that you find in John 17. Did you notice that there's no babbling in here? Very intelligent reasoning as he appeals to his father. He addresses his father six times by the title of father. That is no vain repetition. If you are truly beseeching someone, you will use their name more than once. You will bring their name up. And so the Lord Jesus appeals to his father six times in this prayer. And brethren, you don't have to close your eyes to pray. He lifted his eyes to heaven because he was looking under the hills from whence cometh his help. He knew where to look for God. Our God is in the heavens. I love Psalm 115 and verse 3. It says, their gods are idols, but our God is in the heavens. Our God fills heaven and earth. So it is true that he's everywhere at all times. That's why we say he is omnipresent. He is present everywhere at once. The Bible tells us that in Jeremiah 23, 23. However, God has chosen 
to centralize his glory in heaven. Where the saints are and the angels are located, it is a real place. And it's to that place that we now lift up our eyes. Solomon prayed, Lord, if we're ever in trouble and we pray toward this house that I have built, hear thou from heaven and answer our prayers. And Daniel would kneel and pray toward that Mount Zion where the temple had stood. We pray toward no place on earth, brethren. We do not look toward Mecca or Jerusalem. We look toward the heavenly Jerusalem where God dwelleth. Jesus spake those words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, this is the relationship that he had with God. And brethren, by gracious adoption, it is the relationship we have with God. Jesus was the son of God and he could address God as his father because God was his father. He had been born of a virgin by the power of the highest and the Holy Ghost coming upon Mary. And God was his father. And he walked with God in fellowship from the earliest days of his active conscience with the Lord. But we have the same blessing because the spirit witnesses within us that he is our father. And we can say, Abba, Father, because God is our Father. But here the Lord Jesus is praying for us to his Father in heaven. There's never been a priest, never been a prayer, never been a counselor or a mediator like the Lord Jesus Christ who could address the one that is the judge and address the one that can surely help as Father. What a glorious relationship to have in our high priest. I do not want you to forget that. I do not care how many times I repeat it. There are so many men on earth that trust earthly priests to make peace with some God. And there are even Christian sects like the Catholics who think that they need a priest to make peace with God. We have a priest, the priest, the great high priest who does make peace with God, who has made peace with God. And whoever lives to keep that peace with God. Father, what a relationship. And when the Son of God, do not picture him in a manger. Do not picture him in a crucifix. And do not picture him knocking at some door. Picture him as the Lord of glory. When he goes to his Father, he calls him Father because he's asking petitions On our behalf, he uses the best word that he can think of because God is thankful to be his father. Because God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I, as God, am blessed and thankful that Jesus of Nazareth is my son. And when the son of God goes to bat for us, if you will understand my words, he prays, Father, the hour is come. Jesus knew his whole life what God had sent him to do, and that was to die. We read in Luke chapter 9 that when he knew that it was about time for him to be taken up, and if you go read Luke 9, it's quite a while before he was taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was so intent on going to the place where he knew that he was going to lay down his life for us. So intent was he on it, and so visible was it, to those around him, that the Samaritans resented him for it. 
He had to travel from Galilee to Judea, from Nazareth to Jerusalem. To get there, you have to travel through Samaria. As he traveled through Samaria, some villages of the Samaritans didn't appreciate his intent because he wanted to, I need to get going. I need to get to Jerusalem. And so they said, well, we don't want you to stay here. That's when James and John earned their nicknames, Sons of Thunder, by asking Jesus if they could call fire down from heaven upon those Samaritans who didn't treat their Lord well. The hour is come. What hour? The time for me to be betrayed into the hands of my enemies. The time when I will not walk through their midst and save my life. The time when I will let them put me on a cross after abuse of torture. I will let them do it. I will not call 12 legions of angels. I will not exercise my power to protect myself. I will lay down my life for those that you have given me to die for. The hour is come. They are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. The hour indeed had come. Glorify thy son. Father, glorify me. Give me the strength. Give me the honor. Uphold me and help me. Glorify me that I will do everything that I can do to glorify thee in this my hour. He did not pray to be saved from the hour. He prayed for the glory and the strength and the ability to use that hour for the glory of God. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. Did the Lord uphold the Lord Jesus Christ? He was strengthened in Gethsemane. He made it through Gethsemane. We cannot know the full extent of what he underwent there. He made it through the trial of that long night. He made it through the cross when God forsook him in the way of fellowship. And our sins were laid upon him and punishment was made for them. And then God has glorified him again. When he has risen from the dead, he crowned him with glory and honor and put him at his own right hand. And his whole purpose for all of eternity is to glorify his father in heaven. And he glorified his father while he was on the cross. He prayed for forgiveness that his father would forgive those that were there at the foot of the cross. He glorified his father. And into his father's hands, he commended his spirit at the moment he laid down his life and gave up the ghost. And his spirit returned to his father in heaven. Father, when you think of the intercessory prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, Think of the word Father. I want you to know that day and night, while you are wake, awake and working, or while you are in your bed sleeping, the Lord Jesus Christ ever lives to pray Father. And when the Lord Jesus Christ prays Father, he is heard of his Father. The hour is no longer to come. The hour is past. He, he did everything that he was supposed to do in that hour for us. And now he's glorified at the right hand of God and his whole purpose is the greater glory of God in the universe. And that includes the salvation of us, which is in verse 2. Notice that verse 1 does not end with a period. Verse 2 is the explanation of how God glorified Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ glorified God by saving all those that God had given him. That's in verse 2, which we'll take up 
after our break. Brethren, in this prayer of John 17, we have the most magnificent, infinitely perfect priest that could ever be designed. It's called in the Bible, the power and wisdom of God. That the God of heaven could design something as perfect as this. That his son, on the night that he would lay down his life, was not praying for himself, but praying that he might glorify God and that he would, in that hour, do everything necessary to save you and me. That he could give eternal life and that he would give eternal life to all those the Father had given him. I'm sorry, but I'm not very sorry that we didn't make more progress into the chapter. But if you will read chapters 14, 15, and 16 and understand them as a preface to this prayer, you can lay hold of this prayer and know that you have a Savior that is unbelievable. But we believe it. We believe the record that God has given of His Son. That eternal life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son has eternal life. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Run to Him and find refuge in Him. Call upon Him and believe in your heart. That God has raised him from the dead. That he sits at God's right hand. And he's coming for us soon. May Jesus Christ be praised.